Hello, my name is Mari Gerard and I'm the Managing Editor for Custom Content at Sightline. Today, I am joined by Bruno Marx, Vice President, General Partner within Icon's Biotech Division for the second of two podcast episodes on meeting milestones through effective biotech trial strategies. In this second part, we're going to be covering biotech funding trends, crafting development strategies that align with investor priorities, and the role of contract research organizations to support in the current landscape. Now, let's pick up the conversation. So, Bruno, in your current role, I'd be really keen to hear about some of the biotech funding trends that you've observed in the last couple of years. Yeah, big picture. The context overall is it's estimated that it can cost $1.52 billion to take a drug through the development process to market. So that's the big picture. It's a, it's a very expensive process. And so funding is a massive consideration. What we've seen in terms of funding, you know, is a positive one. We've seen an enormous growth overall in the investment in R&D. The overall picture is enormous. You know, we're now at about an estimated $380 billion of total R&D spend a year in the industry. And of that, clinical development is about $115, $120 billion. And that's estimated to continue to grow about 6% a year over the next few years. So overall, we're in an area where there is continued robust growth occurring. One of the significant trends is where that growth is happening. And it's particularly happening in the biotech sector. And what I mean there is biological molecules, be it monoclonal antibodies, proteins, vaccines, cell therapies. And we've seen the growth in that sector over the last 20 years go from four or five billion to about 50 billion over the last 20 years. And that, that's about three times the growth rate of the overall industry. So we're seeing a general trend towards more research and development happening in biotechs and with biotech products. So that's quite an important concept because what's happening is that although big pharma are still massive and actually they still provide the biggest pot of the investment dollars to R&D, a lot of their products are coming from smaller and mid-sized biotech through licensing, through acquisition. And that's where a lot of the new pipeline has been coming from. And it's where a lot of the new drug approvals increasingly are coming from. So biotech is an incredibly important source of innovation and the new drug pipeline. And up until 2021, we were seeing a massive increase in funding of biotech by you know venture capital and other deal making in fact we got a massive spike in 2021 where almost 40 billion dollars was invested in private equity and other deal making into biotech that actually significantly dropped in 2022 and this is probably what many of the audience will have heard about is there's been a lot of concern about biotech funding significantly dropping over the last year that said, it still in 2022 was almost $30 billion, which other than 2021 eclipses any of the previous years. So I think it's important to recognise that, that 2021 was a really significant peak and we dropped down from that. But actually, the investment dollars is still a really big number in the historical context and is still higher than what it was before 2021. 
That said, I think there has been a general pulling in of the funding situation in terms of what VCs and other investment are looking for. The dollars are flowing a bit less freely. The investment dollars are definitely there and we know that there are new funds being opened, but they are much more discriminatory about the investments that they're making. They're not going to fund a hope and a prayer. The way it's impacted us is that there's a much greater expectation of really clear development plans, really clear value creation, value inflection points in the strategies that biotech are presenting to their potential funders. So good science and really good planning is still getting funded, but there is a higher bar in that respect. Great. And with regards to those partnerships for funding, what are VCs and other investors looking for from their biotech partners and subsequently their clinical trials as well? What we've seen is a little bit of a trend towards less follow on funding and more funding moving to smaller tranches for earlier phase Series A funding. And I think that has been triggered by the fact that you can potentially reach a value inflection point with a smaller amount of investment. The value inflection point that many of these funds are now looking at is that establishing a clinical proof of concept. So they're often looking for companies that have taken their asset through the preclinical stages, shown that it seems to work preclinical animal models, for example, done the toxicology and are ready to go into a phase one clinical trial or have even done the phase one clinical trials to show that it's safe in humans. And then the big first value inflection point is then showing that it has efficacy. So clinical proof of concept so running that first phase two efficacy study. So I think that's where we're seeing a bit of a sweet spot of investment at the moment is taking companies through that stage. So they're looking for companies with those type of assets that have got a really clear plan that can take them in within a three to at the most, I'd say, five year time frame from that stage of ready to go into the clinic through to having a phase two readout that demonstrates that they have efficacy in the patient population. Brilliant. And then how have those things actually impacted biotech company priorities and their development strategies? Well, they have to be more focused in their thinking. They can't afford to dissipate their energies on lots and lots of different activities, potentially different long shots, let's say. It's created a greater focus in terms of their development strategy. I think it's created a greater importance for accessing the right expertise to help them address some of what these funding partners are looking for. Often, you know, these smaller biotechs don't have some of the internal expertise to do some of the things that these funding partners are looking for when it comes to a planning and a design and a ROI perspective. Absolutely. It neatly transitions us into how contract research organisations such as ICON, of course, can support this new landscape and what the challenges are for clinical stage and emerging biotech companies. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point and it's something that we're seeing firsthand is that because of that higher bar that is expected in terms of really having a development plan that has really clear steps and is really navigating the landscape of the current treatment paradigm in the particular indication, the current competitive landscape and things like that. What we're seeing is that 
biotech companies really need to and are more and more recognizing the value of partnering early and working with knowledgeable industry partners such as a, a large CRO or other type of consultancy to really help them design their trial. And this can be everything from selecting the right indication to go into. Some drugs, their mechanism of action could potentially speak to addressing different indications. So helping them think, well, taking multiple dimensions into account, which indication is going to give you the best probability of success from a point of view of actually prosecuting the trial, managing to enroll patients into that indication and overcoming those hurdles, but also taking into account the potential ROI at the end of it. What are you going to have to demonstrate? What's the bar to demonstrating, say, efficacy or superior efficacy to what's already out there? What are potential payers and prescribers looking for? Will they consider to be value? So looking at all these dimensions, what are the regulatory hurdles? We actually do it ourselves where we take that sort of multidimensional approach to help our sponsors do a ranking of potential, say, indications that they could take their asset into in terms of where we think the highest probability of success and highest probability of ROI is going to be. So I think that's one of the first things is actually a partner in that design process, in designing a clinical program that is really well thought through, really well justified and so feels robust to potential funding partners. The second thing we can help them do is addressing that cost piece. Money is tight. Investment dollars are there, but they're not going to be spent willy nilly. So how can we help them conduct a trial that's as efficient as possible? And this also speaks to some of those things I said about protocol complexity. Typically, a large CRO like ourselves, we are less in the weeds of any specific scientific mechanism, for example, but we are seeing a large slice of the clinical development that's happening in any particular indication. And because of that, we see some of the pitfalls. You know, often the founders are really smart academic scientists and they are really interested in the scientific questions that they're trying to answer. But sometimes that can become a little bit of an issue when it comes to running a clinical trial in as much as they can want to answer too many questions all at once, make the trial too complicated, make the protocol too complicated, for example, and need to realise they need to get that right balance between making the trial cost effective, executable, address the key important questions, maybe save some of these other things for later on, because trying to do too much actually inhibits your ability to do anything at all. So helping them design a cost effective trial. And that can also include some of these technological approaches that we've talked about and patient access approaches that we've talked about, like, is this a trial that we could enroll at some of our dedicated clinical research sites and therefore go to far fewer sites and enroll much more patients per site? Is it a trial that we can improve the enrollment rate by having some decentralized components, mm -hmm. allowing people to consent for the trial remotely, receive their medication through the post, report their symptomology through e-diaries or e-pro, electronic patient reported outcome on a smartphone? This can potentially decrease the cost of conducting a trial. Again, I want to be realistic at the moment because of some of the upfront investment costs for these things that are still relatively new. We're not seeing necessarily enormous savings from decentralization of trials in terms of the actual cost of the conduct of trial. But what I think we will see is as you make these trials more easy to participate in, we'll see increased enrollment rates and therefore the trial will get conducted more quickly. More people 
able to participate and actually that does drive an enormous cost saving and then not least the speed to an inflection point of value which means that the drug potentially can start earning money and creating value in that way at a much earlier time point so i think just high level those are the things that we can bring to the table brilliant well we've covered an awful lot there on the topic is there anything finally that you would like to say as a closing remark before we wrap up Firstly, thank you again. It's been great talking to you this morning. It's an enormous topic and we've only scraped the surface on a number of different areas. I, of course, would be happy to follow up on further questions. And and on behalf of ICON, we're extremely happy to engage in some of these activities that I've touched on in that last answer. I sit within a part of the ICON organisation that is dedicated to working with small and mid-sized biotech companies. And certainly one of the things that we've recognised is two of the components we've discussed today. One, the importance of funding and thinking through the lens of what are potential funding partners, VC organisations looking for when they want to invest in a biotech and thinking through that lens. And very closely coupled to that is therefore wanting to offer ourselves as early engagement partners with biotech to bring some of those things that we've discussed, that expertise. You know, we've got a whole consultancy team staffed with people who have sat in really high positions within large biotech and pharma, heads of R&D strategy and things like that. We've got that type of team who are really helping to think, how can we design this program to maximise its opportunity for success? Because we are actually completely incentivised in the same direction as our biotech partners. Our reputation as a CRO depends on successful conduct of clinical trials, and we can only conduct them successfully if they're designed effectively. So we really love to engage early and to be part of that process of thinking about what is the right development programme for this asset? What is important in this protocol? How do we design this protocol to maximise its success? Are there opportunities to bring in enabling technologies to improve the execution of this protocol to reach the maximum amount of patient population and things like that? That's the way our thinking has shifted. In traditional thinking, most of the strategy lay within the pharma companies and they employed CROs as the arms and legs for delivering clinical trials. In our biotech division, that's almost turned on its head. We know that small biotechs are often only two or three people. They have an immense amount of knowledge of their asset and their mechanism of action and the indication they're seeking to treat. But they haven't necessarily got anywhere near the same amount of knowledge that we have within our organisation of the regulatory expectations, payer and prescriber expectations, technologies that are available, the relationships that we have with investigators and sites and site networks. And that ability to synthesize all of that into what's going to be the most effective development plan to take your asset from where it is now to that crucial demonstrating clinical proof of concept. So we really turn things on ahead as we can bring that clinical development expertise and we want to partner with organisations to design studies more effectively to overcome some of the challenges we've touched upon today to try and conduct studies faster, cheaper and with a higher probability of success. Well, thank you, Bruno, for taking the time to have this conversation today. It's been fantastic to get your insight across these two episodes. And thank you also to our sponsor, Icon, for making both discussions possible. 
For our listeners, if you haven't already, make sure you listen to the first podcast episode to hear more from Bruno on the current landscape for biotech clinical trials. Thank you very much for listening today.